for that. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We've been looking at this, this issue of not passing judgment. And in particular, we've been dealing with one, one sort of a part of that in the sense of our conscience. I want to go back a little bit since it's been a couple of weeks. I gave testimony that I, I grew up in church. Um, my daddy made sure I was in church. Bob Jones University made sure I was in church. And now Melody drags me to church. <laughs> Never been a time I hadn't been in church. Um, and in, as the Lord would have it, growing up, um, in, our, in our town there were three churches. A Southern Baptist Church, or Baptist Church, you just say Baptist Church, Methodist Church, and Pentecostal Church. And we all got together at Thanksgiving. Rotate. Southern Baptist had, for years, had a design. I don't know when it was back in the 40s or whatever. Every five square miles, they wanted another church. And in my home, you could do that. You could take any road, and less than five miles, you'd come to Macedonia Baptist Church, or this Baptist Church. I mean, they were just a plethora of churches. Well, Randolph County is not far, far from that. Do you know how many Baptist churches there are in Randolph County? At least 85. Mm. Baptist churches, not counting others. We can't get along, can we? <laughs> but I was brought up in, I wrote down, spiritual security. I wasn't a typical Southern Baptist church. My, my church in, I'm 63, has there's only <clears throat> four pa- three pastors in my lifetime. This is unusual. Mm. Uh, Virgil Wilson, uh, four now. I don't know the fourth one, but Virgil Wilson and Doctor uh, Spears, who I Doctor Spears was last. You knew Doctor Spears from Rockingham, and Doctor Phipps was the one I surrendered ministry under. Uh, Virgil Wilson was. I was saved under his ministry in a revival meeting, but they were all expositors. I, I didn't know that you're, you could jump around. I thought you had to take the next verse in line. I, I didn't know that till I got to school and fell in fell into a patch of fundamentalists who, let's just pick one verse and we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, it sounded good. I mean, the stories went great, but there were better stories that way than they were in exposition for some reason. Um, I mean, you could talk about mama getting run over by reindeers, make everybody cry, and uh, it was just good, you know? Um, and you're entrusted to these professors and people. You looked up to them. I mean, they're the ones that got the doctorate degree, so they, they should know. So spiritual direction in my life, in my church, in my family, again, grew up in a... My daddy used to say, real Christian home, and Dr. Phipps says, is there any other kind? Well, there should, shouldn't be, but there is. But spiritual purity taught about error theologically. When I surrendered to ministry under Dr. Phipps' ministry, um, he pulled me to the side knowing I was going to Bob Jones University, and he said, I just want to tell you something. I, I could not recommend a single Southern Baptist school for you to go to. This was 1980. Mm-hmm. Right. And he said, I, I would not suggest you go. But growing up that way brought its own 
problems. I was confronted with what does the Bible teach compared to sometimes what teachers teach. But I'm an investigator. I like murder mysteries. I like Sherlock Holmes. That's the way I approach Scripture. I'm an investigator. That's why I believe in the doctrines of grace. It wasn't because I was taught that. It was because I dug in it and had to come to the truth. I had to come. It, it brought the Scriptures, got in my way of my theology. Okay. Okay. And for some of you, this may not be, be the best illustration. That's what's happened to my eschatology. I just, I can't get there anymore. I don't know where I am. I'm glad you don't have to figure it out to go. Amen. So, um, say, what will you be when the Lord raptures the church and you're halfway up? I'll be a premillennial dispensationist. That's what I'll be. Everybody will be. Okay. But if you're getting your clock cleaned and you're suffering for the cause of Christ, you're going to be going, hmm. It's another subject for another day. But what does the Bible really teach? Even, even in the school that I went to, I've never, I have this saying in my study, where in that text did you find that truth? Yes. But going into, being drawn into fundamentalism, my walk, my walk with the Lord was no longer about love, it was about fear. Fear to offend others. I took to heart Romans 14. I didn't want to be a stumbling block to somebody else. I didn't want my liberty. And of course we were taught what liberties you can and cannot have. But I I didn't want that. I don't think anybody does reality. I, I don't want to be responsible for somebody becoming an alcoholic. Because he saw me drink some wine or something. And I don't do that. I don't want to be that stumbling block. And so my freedoms are governed by my brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because I can doesn't mean I should, right? Okay, so... But sometimes in legalism, and that's where we're getting to, is the fear to offend others and a fear to offend God. Which is not a bad thing. It's just a reality is... You don't understand what grace is. You don't understand adoption. You don't understand who you are in Christ. You can't be any more His child at salvation. You can't make yourself more likable. He liked you. He loved you when you were the ugliest. Right? Okay. I mentioned Deuteronomy 28, if you want to go there with me, but to remind you, this text was... A lightning bolt in my own life. Deuteronomy 28. I blame Piper for the verse, although he didn't write it. He's asking the question, does the Lord require joy? Well, I was serving Him not out of joy, not because I wanted to. It's fear. Fear if I didn't do this or if I didn't have devotions this long God's going to help me flunk, he's going to have me flunk that test if I didn't if I didn't memorize enough scripture if I didn't read if I didn't read out a particular bible some would say I didn't get into that but so you you're and then this verse because you did not serve me verse 47 Deuteronomy 28:47 because you did not serve the Lord with serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart 
because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies. Joyfulness, gladness of heart. It wasn't me. Christianity was more about offending than relationship. I found an article by John Piper. The title of it, just just a few points. He said, 20 reasons that I, I will not badmouth fundamentalists. Number one, they're humble and respectful and courteous and even funny at times. But they believe in the truth. They believe that truth matters. They believe that the Bible is true. All of it. They know that the Bible calls for some kind of separation from the world. And, and I would have to say that they may be too far. I'm not sure that we're not far enough. Number six, they have a backbone and are prone, not prone to compromise principle. Seven, they put obedience to Jesus above the approval of men even though they fall short like others. Eight, they believe in hell and are loving enough to warn people about it. They believe in heaven and sing about it, how good it will be to go there. Number ten, their social action is helping the person next door like Jesus, which doesn't usually get written up in the newspaper. They tend, number eleven, they tend to, to rise law-abiding, chaste children in spite of the fact that Barna says evangelical kids in general don't have any better track record than non-Christians. Number 12, they resist trendiness. Number 13, they don't uh, think too much is gained by sounding hip. 14, they may not be hip, but they don't go as far as to drive uh, buggies and insist on typewriters. <laughs> Number 15, they still sing hymns. Listen, we're going to sing hymns. One of the problems with songs written today is they're written by songwriters, not by theologians. Thank the Lord for Gettys and people like them who are returning us back to those things. But for a long time during the 70s and 80s, they were, they were mushy, gushy. They were. Number 16, they are not uh, breathless about being accepted in the scholarly guild. Number 17, they give some contemporary plausibility to the New Testament's claim that the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. 18, they are good for the rest of evangelicals because of all of this. 19, this is Piper speaking, and I'll add my 19 to this. My dad was one. And I would say my father-in-law was one. And number 20, everybody to my left thinks I'm one. And there are a lot of people to my left, he says. Okay.
In our text, in Colossians, Paul is dealing with something following the completeness in Christ. We found in the previous verses, my salvation is complete, my forgiveness is complete, my victory is complete, and complete. And then verse 16 says, therefore. If that's true, if our salvation in Christ is complete, if forgiveness is complete, if victory in Christ is complete, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. He says later, in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. In the text that Jonathan read, five times it mentioned in Romans 19, do not pass judgment. Paul is arguing here, you don't need anything to add anything to Christ. Christ alone is sufficient. Christ alone in Him we are complete. I am His. I am adopted. Paul declares, let no one pass judgment. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Let no one act as your judge. Constantly criticizing on the lack, on the, on the, on the lookout of legal conformity. The issue that he deals with initially is this issue of legalism. But I'm going to say this at the end. There's something bigger at stake here. It's not just legalism. It's not just conformity. It's not just fundamentalism. What's at stake here is the gospel. The gospel's at stake. If you're going to add something to it, it's no longer the gospel. And Paul is telling these people, in fact, he, in the text he says, let no one, it is in the singular... And there's some thought that there was one teacher that got in Colossae that was spreading this mess and Paul is fighting him. Or at least he's the ringleader of what's happening. Let no one judge. Let no one follow legalism. Let no one add to Christ. If our salvation and our forgiveness and our victory in Christ is complete, he can't add anything to that. Legalism is a religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based upon Christ plus human works. And we linked this last time with the conscience. Let me find legalism first. Legalism is conviction that law-keeping is now. The ground of our acceptance with God now is law-keeping. How do I get God to like me? How do I get God to be for me? Not before me, to be for me. How do I get God so I can pass this test? How do I get God to do it? What are the things I need to do to impress God so God will indeed bless me? That's legalism. And the spirit of legalism is a failure to be humble, broken, amazed, and satisfied by grace. That's it. Legalism believes, I gave you these things, legalism believes and promotes unbiblical standards as self-authority. If you elevate anything above Christ, you're saying that my salvation in Christ is not complete. You need more. I've got to do more. I've got to eat or not eat. I've got to do Sundays. I've got to clothe. I've got to wear a tie. I've got to do this special kind of music. I can't have tattoos. 
You've got to wear a suit. You've got to homeschool. All of those make you acceptable to God. No, they don't. It promotes performance. It's self-righteousness. I, this is what I do. I don't do. The gospel says I can't do. Jesus did it all yes. for me. Legalism promotes the, the earning and keeping of God's pleasure based upon what I do or don't do. Legalism is relentless taskmaster that promotes self-performance as your continuing personal atonement. This is how you impress God. This is how you earn His right. Legalism promotes division. You want to know why there's 85 Baptist churches in Randolph County? Some of them are there because of Southern Baptists starting that every five years. Not all of them. Jokes told about a guy who's caught on an island out in the Pacific by himself and he's there for a couple of years and finally somebody sees the smoke and they come and he's built these villages and houses and they man, this is great. What's that? That's a church. Well, what's that? That's another church. Well, what happened to that one? We split over there. We're over here now. Legalism, legalism thrives in personal performance and personal su- supremacy and the trampling of others. We end up separating over versions of the Bible or views of eschatology or music. It is the we are not crowd. Look how spiritual we are. Legalism believes the prize is through personal exertion and see who who be in the way in that prize, not as people to be served, but as obstacles to be removed. They don't see people as there to be ministered to. And as I said, at the end, legalism demotes Christ and His suffered righteousness and his and to our personal merit, God accepts us because of what we do or don't do. Look at Colossians. Look back at chapter two, verse eight. See to it then that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to elementary spirits of the world, and not in according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity of dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. You're complete in Him. Who is the head with all authority? Don't let anybody don't let anybody leave you away astray. Don't let anybody take you for ransom. Don't anybody kidnap you. That's the word to take captive. Look at verse twenty and twenty-two. If with Christ, or chapter two, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to their regulations? Paul said, "Where are you going back?" You've been set free from all of that. Verse 21, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. 
These are indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There it is. There's the problem. It doesn't stop anything. In fact, it does the very opposite. It makes us proud. It feeds that part of us to say, See, I'm better than you. Verse 1 of chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. That's where our focus needs to be. Legalism is a dangerous system. Sheep are hurt. The gospel is veiled. Christ is marginalized and we are exalted. Legalism is the relationship killer. It takes the emphasis of, off of Christ and onto self. It promotes self-righteousness and works. And it gets tied to my conscience. So what we did last week, I'll go with you, with you just a minute. What is my conscience? I gave an illustration, I'll give it again of a plane, this was back in the eight, late 70s, 80s. This plane was taking off, had a 150 passengers on board, and the alarm starts going off. Pull up, pull up, pull up. Terrain, terrain, terrain. Pull up, pull up, pull up. The pilot reached over and turned the switch off, and he was heard to say on the voice recorder, Shut up, gringo. Less than five seconds after he turned the switch off, it plowed into the side of the mountain, killing all 150 passengers on board. That's what our conscience is. It's a warning. It's not supernatural. It's not divine. It's like pain. Pain isn't the problem. Pain is telling you there is a problem. Okay. It's past Monday morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. I wake up 3 o'clock, I'm rolling over from this side to this side, and I get halfway over, and all of a sudden, 10,000 bee stings hit this side of my body. I started hollering. It was a good, I was sleeping in the other bedroom, Melody had already thrown me out, so I was sleeping in the other bedroom. So She didn't hear me. I'm hollering. I thought I was having a heart attack. But it was 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to figure out why are all these bees stinging me? Is this a heart attack? And then my brain starts working. That's not a heart attack. I knew what it was because I've had them before. That shingles. The pain's not shingles. The pain's telling me there's a problem that's got to be addressed. That's the warning. That's what God gives us. It's like pain. All people have them. Couldn't turn back to Romans chapter 2 just a moment. Romans 2. Romans 2 and verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. In other words, God's planted that in them. God's put that in, into man that his conscience bears witness. 
So what is the conscience? It is the capacity that God gives to man to know the difference between right and wrong. It's not a body of information. It's simply the warning device that's going off on the information A, that God has implanted into it, and B, what we have added to it. Where does this information come from? Well, it can come from being caught. It can come by being taught, and it comes by experience. Let me tell you a weird one. We were last Sunday, we were at several of us talking. You got does your conscience go off at weird things? Mine does. I got one you gonna think this is crazy, but when I grew up, we didn't go out to eat that much. We had my two brothers were in college, and my parents were playing for two in college at one time, and so we we were we were drinking powdered milk. I remember those days, powdered milk. And, okay, so once in the blue moon we'd go out to eat. Daddy loved the lakeside seafood where all the food tastes the same. It's just different shape, but it's all fried. It's all the same food. And on certain occasions, he'd let us order a Pepsi or Coke. Now, at that restaurant, well, at that restaurant, free refills. So one of the others would get water. And then, you know, you'd be eating and you'd go, man, I need something to burn my throat a little bit. Can I have a little bit of your Pepsi? Dad would say, no, you're stealing. That's how far he drew that line. My dad was a high school principal. When, when the ball games happened, you think being the school principal's kid, I got into ball games free. No. I had to meet him at the gate with all the other people getting in, and they had to witness my dad buying my ticket. I didn't get anything at the refreshment stand. You want bought something? You buy it. So my dad drew it that long. Now, here it is. So here I am, 63 years later. Melody and I go to a restaurant. I order coffee. She wants a sip. What's my answer? <laughs> no. You can't have one. She said it's just a sip. It's stealing. It is. It is to my conscience. Some of you are laughing. I can see some of you. It's not stealing. It's stealing. It is stealing, by the way. I add a little bit to your conscience now. Okay. Legalism. Yeah. It's legalism. Yeah. I'm binding your conscience. That's what this is. This is binding your conscience. Okay. Tanya asked, "Well, I mean, what about your food?" No, I didn't. I didn't buy a bottomless thing of shrimp. I bought one plate of shrimp. I want to give it to everybody in the restaurant. That's my business. Just one plate. But refills. You're getting free refills. It's like somebody to me. It's like somebody going in and getting one all you can eat, and then sharing it. No, that's not right. It's stealing. Okay, that's where my conscience is. So it's not a body. It just goes off. It just. What was funny was when we go out with Melody's mom and dad. They didn't have that conviction, and I had to look away. You're stealing. Information is caught, it's taught, it's experienced. But our conscience, listen, our conscience, as I mentioned last week, can be one of three things. It can be over, overly informed. 
taught as doctrine the traditions of men. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 8, he mentions that according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Things get lifted up. We're, we're taught we can't do these things because that's what the Bible says. And then we start investigating the Bible, and that ain't what it says at all. It's not what it's talking about. But it's been overly informed. You might say my conscience on the coffee thing. It's been overly formed. Okay, that's fine. All right? Secondly, it can be underinformed. You, you don't know. How about a new convert? Bible Baptist Church, there was a... I can't remember their names. But they were Italian. Italian people seem to be loud. Are you Italian? Anybody in here Italian? Got Italian blood? Say you're loud. I know you are loud. Okay, they're just loud. They're just, they're just, they're just, they're in it, man. They're, they just live the life. I mean, they're, I mean, they're in it. But they argue like that. And this couple, that's the way they talk to each other. They didn't not love each other, but I mean, they talk to each other like, man. If I talk like that, I mean, I'd be picking my teeth up off the ground from my wife, much less my father. And and so, I, what in the world? Well, they didn't know. And so one day they were reading, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, they were reading this together. They were having devotions like they never had before and they come across this text. Let no corrupt, verse 29, chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that grace may be to those that hear. And they both stopped. And he said, honey, it's, it's not right for me to call you stupid. And she said, it's not right for me to call you. Their conscience got convicted by the Word. Yes. That's the way it works. Now, did it immediately change? Oh, no. No, no. But that's when you keep short accounts, isn't it? Yes. Have you ever said something and you knew the minute, the minute it came out your mouth, it needed to be followed with, I'm sorry. Yes. Please forgive me. Yes. Yeah. That's it. But an underinformed, corrupting, useless, the word corrupting there means useless, worthless, deprived. Instead of edifying, it's not building up, it's tearing down. We can even do it with our inflection of our tone. Remember, Carrie Hardy mentioned to us one time that his, actually his wife mentioned it. If you can finish the sentence with, you stupid idiot, you said it wrong. Well, everybody knows that that key fits that door. You stupid idiot. <laughs> Carrie had to, his wife had to, she'd finish it for him sometimes. And it's the tone, right? But he got convicted. It was under-informed, now it's informed. I'm informing your conscience. I mean, you were saying you can move on now. It's wrongly informed. The Bible doesn't teach that. For a conscience to work properly, it must have the correct information infused by the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to go there with me, I'll read some of these verses just quickly. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 29. I do not mean your conscience, but His. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? There it is. What about His conscience? Am I going to be an offense to him? By and, and in some sense, 1 Corinthians is talking about meat offered to idols. Am I going to offend him? 
It's not about your conscience. It's not, it doesn't fit in my conscience. That's not the point. The point is His. Or even Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Don't turn there. Let me just give it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. The aim and our charge is love that issues a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Peter, like all the Jews, had been taught there were clean and unclean animals. He also got taught that there were clean and unclean people. Jews and Gentiles. And you don't mix the two. You know what Peter's vision in chapter 10, verses 9 and following. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went out of the housetop in about six hours to pray. And he was he's hungry, he wanted something to eat, but while he was preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being like down from its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air. And there came a voice that says, Arise, Peter, eat, kill, and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him and said the second time, What God hath made do you call common? Whoa. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And while Peter was Inwardly perplexed at the vision that he had seen, urged, behold, the men who had sent by Cornelius had made no choir from Simon's house, stood at the gate, called Peter. So, what, what was the deal? Well, I'm not, I'm not a witness to those people. I'm not love those people. They're unclean. We've done that mess in our country. by separating by blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians. There's one family. One. Those men in Africa are my brothers. Your brothers. Not unclean. I candidated a church years ago. church that wanted to know what, what I would do if a black family came to church. I lost that church because of it. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you going to do? Stand at the door and tell them they can't come in? That's exactly what he wanted. You know, a, con- a strong conscience is a great blessing, isn't it? Say something, you're convicted. Look at something, you're convicted. Young people who are just starting to date and they're out with somebody, sit in the car by yourself, and your conscience starts going off. Get out, get out, get out. Stop. I heard one of the pastors at Grace Church was talking about when he and his wife were engaged and just a week before their marriage and they pulled up in front of her house and 
before she went in, it started getting a little hot inside the car. You know what I'm talking about? And he put both hands on the steering wheel and he said, get out and get out now. What was that? It's his conscience. It's firing off. But conscience also keeps adults from signing contracts that they know are lies. It's your conscience. But can I say something else too about our conscience? It's very easy to become a Pharisee and a judge, isn't it? We judge others on outward appearance or on performance rather than on Christ. We see the tattoo, or we see the long hair, or we see the pants on the women, or beards on men, and we judge them. Found that there are people who look like that who love the Lord Jesus more than I do. My mom used to call them God's oddlings. God has people like that. You're one of them. Yes. Right? Yeah. Listen, people need time to grow in their relationship to Christ. I mean, one of the hardest things is, is to know the Lord and then be handed to the Bible and say, Here, here's the Bible. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, read it. Like, where? Mm-hmm. Right. Where do I start? Right. Or people that have never been in church and the Lord saves them and their first trip in church is... To make public their profession and faith. That's the first time they did. They don't know. If you've never read, I think it's called The Conversion of a Most Unlikely Convert, Rosaria Butterfield, who's a card carrying lesbian, wrote the policy for same sex marriage at Syracuse University. She'd written an article in the paper that she was going to protest about what was that group of men that used to go and hold conferences and promise keepers were coming to town. and She wrote an article that was against it. Presbyterian associate pastor went running into the pastor's office and said, we've got to do something about this. I said, about what? About this woman who wrote this. So he looked over his glasses and said, what do you want me to do? Have her for supper? No, I want you to... He goes, you know what? That's a good idea. So he wrote her and asked her to come to supper. She would come off and on for that solid year. And as a, as a literature, doctorate in literature, he asked her, have you read the Bible? And she said, the only Bible verses I see are what's posted outside my office homosexuals go to hell. So, well, don't you think you should read it? For a solid year, he never invited her to church. Never told her about Christ. Just talked about the Bible. One day she decided to go and she sat across the road in another parking lot watching people go into church. 
She said, I didn't know families could have that many kids and get them all in a 15-passenger van. And she said, I finally walked in in my blue jeans and my short hair. And they welcomed me. And they gave her time. Yes. She testifies to being saved while singing a hymn. And she gave testimony that Jesus Christ was Lord. Some people don't know. And we run them off. We run them off. Today we're being taught to violate our conscience. To silence it altogether. Today... Against our conscience, we're called to do evil things. In fact, we live in an age where good is evil and evil is good, isn't it? There's a young girl that was friends to my nephew's wife. <clears throat> her name's Beth. I'd have you to pray for her, Beth. Met Beth while visiting them and just graduated high school getting ready to go off to Appalachian State Beth lives in Charleston West Virginia along with her female wife she's abandoned everything she said she believed She wrote me one time and said, I don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. You know why? She'd subjected herself to the hearing of the world. She, she lost, I think she is, I don't see any evidence of her knowing the Lord. But young people, that's what young people are told. Homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, all that's acceptable because you can't be against that. It's not loving to be against those things. And what ends up happening is our conscience becomes seared. In Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, Beginning in verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Now this I say, I testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality and to greed and to practicing all kinds of impurity. What is he talking about? He's, those lost people have seared their conscience. Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Again, I'll just read it to you. Verse 1. Now the Spirit especially says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. Desensitized. It's a medical term. means to cauterize, to burn. 
the world does to their conscience. Listen, it's what we can do to our conscience if we're not careful. How do people who proclaim to know the truth, who teach the truth, who've even preached the truth, walk off and run off with somebody that's not their wife? How do you do that? And convince themselves, God wants me happy. No, God wants you holy. They so seared their conscience. But folks, can I remind you that there's coming a day that those consciences will be unseared. We turn to Matthew chapter 8 with me just a minute. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is speaking here in verses, beginning in verse 5 of the faith of the centurion. I'm going to read all of that, but go down with me to verse 11. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? He repeats that similar form in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Look at verse 13. The story about the parable of the wedding feast. Verse 13, the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him in outer darkness. In that place there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that me? In my preparing for this, I ran across this that made me pause. This writer says, there's coming a day when you can't silence your conscience any longer. He says, do you remember reading about hell, that experience of an individual in hell will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? What does that mean? I mean, if we're going to describe hell, we're going to say it's hot, right? And that's true. But this writer says, but I want to tell you something. The heat's not only to be on the outside, the heat is going to be on the inside. Because in hell, every individual will have a fully informed and relentless conscience accusing them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without relief. That's what hell is. And that's why there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Every sinner will know that every pain they feel, they deserve. Go back to our text in Colossians. And I'll get into the text next week. I just want to deal with let no one pass judgment. Are you a legalist? Someone wrote 
few qualities of really legalists, and I'd like to give them to you. I think it's mindful. He said, legalists are angry when others get grace. Remember Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus gives the illustration or the parable about the guy who hired the workers? And he hired some in the morning and some at noon, and they were, some of those that got hired early, they were mad. Why? Because those that got paid later got the same thing as they got paid for all day. And they couldn't understand grace. I've met people like that. Number two, legalists consistently uh, evaluate uh, are they getting a fair shake? Luke chapter 15, you know the parable of the man who had two sons. Why was the older son angry? I have been with you all these years and what? You have not held a feast for me. That's a legalist. Number three, legalists compare themselves to others. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like I thank you that I don't parent like those people parent. I'm thankful that I, my, I don't, don't school my kids like them. That I don't arrive late at church every week like that family. That I don't spend my money like him. I serve more frequently than she does. Yeah, I, I don't watch the same movies they talk about. I keep myself in better shape than you do. When I compare my moral achievements to someone else and then get satisfaction from the difference, that's legalism. That's what it is. It's basically saying, God, thank you that I am more righteous than that person. You know, we, got, we all got that spark in us. We can do it. Legalism, fourthly, lacks joy. Because legalist focus is not on Christ, but on themselves. Number five, legalist feels like God is never happy with them, never can do enough to make God love them. This nagging guilt that comes from feeling like you're not doing enough for God. That you're, you're not evangelizing or praying or reading your Bible enough. And all that may be true. That's the reality is, you may not be reading your Bible enough. That you should be fasting more, serving more. All that may be true. We don't judge that on the basis of others. You have no clue what's going on in somebody else's life. John MacArthur got turned in in Bible college for, quote, being the devil because he didn't come to missionary prayer meeting. How would you know? 
Spurgeon describes these people well who have, who have joy. Uh, the poor sinner trying to save by law is like a blind horse going round and round on a mill and never getting uh, a step further but only being whipped continually. The faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he is tired, Spurgeon says. How do I change? If I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not supposed to pass judgment. This writer says the risk of oversimplifying the solution is always the same. It's the gospel. To be free from the poison of legalism, you must drink deeply of the antidote of the gospel. And this deep drinking must happen on a consistent basis, not just every once in a while. Jerry Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace, he puts it like this, quote, We are going to persevere as committed disciples of Christ over the course of our lives. We must always keep the gospel of God's forgiveness through Christ before us. Always. Jerry Bridges in his book, when I read it, he said, You must preach the gospel to yourself every day. I didn't know what he was talking about. What are you talking about? I'm so, I'm so far past the gospel that it's like starting over. You, you never pass the gospel. You're never past the gospel. Or as Robert Murray McShane says, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. This writer says, are you a legalist? The solution is constantly and consistently and relentlessly looking to Christ and His finished work on your behalf. Only in Christ is there true freedom from the chains of legalism. Because what's at stake here? Judging others? Yes. Disqualifying others? Yes. But more than that, what's at stake here is the power of the gospel. The sufficiency of the gospel. The effectiveness or the efficacy of the gospel is at stake here. Folks, may the gospel always be our passion. Yes, work on a conscience that's ruled and reigned by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Yes, absolutely. And there may be things that you can't do. Great. Wonderful. If it violates your conscience, I ain't giving you my cup of my coffee. I'm going to tell you that already. I'm not going to do it. Okay? Violates my conscience. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Fine, have rules like that. But understand, that doesn't save me. God's not more impressed with me not giving my coffee away. I think he thinks I'm right, but that's not it. Right? It's the way we are. We think we're right. Right? Have a strong conscience. But give people time to grow. Give people time to change. They don't know this. Remember, I remember my professor, same one that says, where in that text you get that truth. He said, don't assume anybody knows anything. Right. Don't assume, well, everybody's read that book, verse John 3, 16. There's some people sitting there who've never read that verse. Give people time to grow. Stop judging people. I don't care what they look like. So, what's the dress standard coming to your church, Eric? Just have some on. It's good. 
If you don't have any, we'll give you some. You know, if we have to do that. But no. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't lose the gospel. People don't need your quirky, don't drink coffee stuff. They need the gospel. They need Christ. And they need to know that He is absolutely sufficient in Him. I'm going to ask us to do something strange. I want us to take the song that you played for the offertory and I want us to sing it. We are complete in Him and in Him alone. I know you don't know it. We're going to learn it. It's a good time to learn it. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. Oh Lord, please help us not to be judges. Please help us not to look through our our lens, our American lens at people and determine whether somebody's righteous. Father, help us to realize that the only thing that will save them is not our standards, but the gospel. Father, help us to give people time to grow and to change, to be patient with people. And Father, to examine our our own conscience and what's, what's driving that. Is it the Spirit of God? Is it the Word of God? Or is it Christ? Lord, I do pray that we would have a conscience that would be active. That we would never sear it, but it would be well trained, not under-trained, not over-trained, not wrongly trained, but rightly trained by the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to realize if anyone's here struggling with, I've got to do this. I'm on this, I've got, I'm on this windmill. I'm on this treadmill. And I've got to produce to make God happy. Get off! If you're in Christ, you're complete in Him. You can't, you can't make yourself any more adopted than you are. So Father, Even use this song to remind us of our completeness in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.